we're back on the District 3 podcast. Thank you all for listening. This is Irvin. Uh, Manny's actually not here today, so I'm going to be taking over the show. So I'm pretty sure uh, we got it under control, so everything should be good. Um, but today we have two special guests, friends of mine, and they're also um, Latinx lawyers in Northwest Arkansas. And I wanted to dedicate this, this episode to Latinx lawyers just to kind of uh, learn about them and learn from them. And at the same time, maybe even inspire other folks, you know, from the Latinx community that want to become lawyers so that they can see examples of folks who are doing it now, you know, and just to kind of hear their background story. So today we have uh, Victor Rojas and Samantha Vital. Thank you all for joining us. Thank you, Irvin. Yeah, thank you for having us. And um, I've, I've, I think I've known you all for, I think I've known Samantha for maybe for two years or almost two years Somewhere. and Victor for a, a little bit longer. Um, but... Are y'all originally from here, from the area, or did y'all come from somewhere else? I think, Samantha, you told me you came from Texas, right? Yep, so uh, I guess I was born in California, moved to Texas, Texas my whole life, and I moved up here when I went to undergrad at the U of A. Okay, what about you, Victor? Uh, I, was in, I was born in California, and I uh, moved down or here to Arkansas when I was 11, and then I also went to the U of A mm. and did law school there as well. One of the uh, one of like the ongoing, not necessarily joke, but like the ongoing thing that we talk about all the time here is that a lot of our guests, uh, for some reason, usually come from California. I don't know <laughs> what the deal is. Like I come from California, and I kind of feel like there's, and I mean, I think people probably get tired of listen of me saying this, but like I feel like there's always a family member that lives here and says, "Hey, there's jobs here, there's opportunities here, there's no gangs," because that was a big selling point for my family. You know, we lived in a in a neighborhood where there was a lot of gangs and my dad didn't want me to be raised around that. So he was like, we need to move to like Arkansas, you know, um, there's jobs over here. You know, the poultry fact, the poultry industry was a big, a big thing for a lot of families moving over here from California to Arkansas. Um, so what was the reason for your family moving over here, Victor? You know, I, I, I would probably say the same thing, just opportunity. Uh, we didn't really hear of any specific jobs. We, I had one uncle here, and uh, my parents just decided to move down here because they thought it'd be better. I don't know what, you know, how they knew that since they'd never visited, never done anything. But uh, that's how we ended up here. I think, uh, you know, you were asking where we're originally from. I just want to point out que soy hijos de soy un hijo de mexicanos, verdad? Mm-hmm. Es es importante saber yeah. de de qué es este my background. Y este, eso es algo que me, que le gustaría, que me gustaría que la gente sepa, que mis papás, aunque yo me identifique de California, de Arkansas, lo que sea, al final del día este, soy mexicano como, como tú, Urban, y se me da que Samantha también es mexicano, sus raíces son mexicanas. Um, pero regresando a la pregunta, este, no es la oportunidad sin saber y mm, tal vez la esperanza de algo mejor y, y este... Los resultados me da que están aquí en este en este cuarto ahorita. Obviamente mm. estamos en un lugar mejor nosotros por lo que lo, la decisión que hicieron nuestros padres en moverse aquí a este estado. Mm. Um, es, es bueno que mencionaste eso porque a veces decimos pues que somos de California o somos de otro de otro estado y no identificamos de dónde vienen nuestras raíces. Mi familia viene, viene de, de un lugar que se llama Chupicuaro, Guanajuato, um, que está cerca de Acámbaro como el restaurante, ¿verdad? Como los restaurantes, como lo conocen aquí. Pero, ¿de qué, ¿ustedes saben de qué país venían sus papás? ¿De qué país llega, llegaron para acá, para este país? Mis papás son de Durango, de Durango este, México, obviamente. Eh, eh, los dos, del mismo, no del mismo pueblo, pero cerca de la capital. Y este, eh, de ahí vienen los dos y he tenido la oportunidad y el gusto de ir para allá dos veces, tres veces ya. 
y uh, es, es un bonito lugar, obviamente, mm. pero es bonito para visitar, no, tal vez no vivir eh, por la falta de oportunidad también y por mm. eso se movieron de ahí. ¿Y tú, Samantha? Mi familia también es de México, uh, son de Aguascalientes, México, somos hidrocálidos. Mm. Uh, I think I saw on Facebook uh, Myra, her family, she found out that part of, yeah. at some point, her family uh, passed through Aguascalientes, and not many people know Aguascalientes. It's a tiny little state. Um, Where is it in Mexico? Like, it's it south just or? south of Zacatecas, just north okay. of Guanajuato. Okay. Um, so it's, I mean, you look at the map, it's dead center, and it's I'm so bad at Mexican geography. Like, I don't even know. I don't know where Guanajuato's at, and, like, people might get offended whenever they hear this, but I don't know where. Because usually, like, when we would go to Mexico, we'd go, like, in a bus, right? Mm -hmm. So I never really looked at a map. I literally just got on the bus, and I would wake up eventually yeah. wherever wherever that was at. Um, so how was, based on what you know, I know that there's a lot of the times, like, our parents will sometimes open up to us and tell us about their journey of how they've gotten here. Uh, and sometimes there's interesting stories for that, um, for that kind of like uh, story that you sometimes inquire about to your family. For example, like my, with my parents, I mean, my, my dad came here as a resident um, because my grandpa was already a, a, a citizen here. Mm -hmm. um, he came to the, he came from Mexico um, and he eventually became a citizen. And then my dad, um, because of like the fact that he was young, he was able to get him over here and eventually he became a resident, right? My mom came undocumented um, originally, and um, it, and he she was very lucky because after she came here, not that not that uh, long after the the Reagan amnesty uh, passed, which allowed her to become a resident, you know. So we never really had to go through like the whole undocumented experience. But is there any any interesting story of how your families got here? Um, my family came here originally was my my dad's mom brought my dad and his younger brother here when he was five years old so mm. uh, his story resonates a lot with me because of the current situation with DACA mm. and just seeing his history in this country it was so much easier mm. for him uh, they came in on, on visas uh, they overstayed and the immigration laws back then were just much easier that it didn't take them very long before they were able to get a lawful status and, mm. and really prosper in this country but yeah, we, we all have stories, you know, of how, how our family just came here, and, and usually it's opportunity. Um, my grandma was a single mother, and that was something that wasn't looked at uh, as something very favorable. Mm. And so, if, you know, yeah. you don't have a Good man, and you got a couple of kids, Especially you in like your town, work. in your town in Mexico, like, you're Puebla, kind of shunned. Chicanos. Yeah, she was. Oh. She was absolutely shunned, and she saw no opportunity where she was at. And, and it wasn't one of those she was blinded or anything like that, there really wasn't an opportunity for her. And she had a sister that had moved up to um, Tijuana. Mm. And so she moved to Tijuana, and then they moved to Southern California. And that's where my you know, parents, my mom, grew up in the same pueblo that my dad grew up, but they didn't meet until they were adults. So my mom grew up in Mexico, and my dad grew up in Norwalk. Okay. Mm -hmm. What about you, Victor? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad you asked sort of that question, because I think, uh, you having us here, you want to get to know us, but I feel like the more exciting stories are probably in the generations mm. behind us. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't know if you know this, you might already, uh, both of my parents are undocumented. Mm, I did not know that. And, uh, you know, being el hijo de gente indocumentada, este, estás preguntando sobre historias interesantes, tal vez son más historias tristes que, mm -hmm. que este interesantes, pero... That's true. 
yo te puedo decir la historia diferente de las de, las de mi papá. Mi hermano ha cruzado como dos veces la frontera, de lo que yo uh -huh. sé. Um, mi papá me ha dicho de cómo ha sido así, ha pasado en diferentes maneras, pero uh, de lo que te imaginas y escuchas, mm -hmm. es, esas son las historias, las, las mías. Yeah, isn't that, isn't that crazy that I feel a lot of the times, you know, whenever I talk to immigrant or specifically undocumented parents, um, they, they've been through a lot, you know, that some of them have, have gone through the desert, some of them have um, been to the point of, of almost dying when they, when they crossed, but a lot of the times they make it seem like it's like it wasn't a big deal you know they'll just be like oh like they even add humor to it you know do you all experience that like just with people that you speak whether it being your own parents or like people in the community they're just kind of like well we do this and we do that and they add so much humor to it but you know like it really isn't like that yeah and you I know that yeah it takes these kinds of conversations for the those stories to come out because you're absolutely right everyone paints this it's not even a beautiful picture but it's almost like a humorous picture of yeah well you got to do what you got to do and you're going to get here and the rest doesn't matter but I think everyone has at some point sat down with their friends, with their friends' parents, and then those horrible stories come out. And I think they should be more normalized yeah. uh, so that we can understand the sacrifices that are, you know, that, that people our age make, that mm -hmm. our parents made, that our grandparents mm -hmm. made, just to give us the opportunity to be here, to give yeah. me the opportunity to go to school and, and, and be able to further my, my future something that they knew they couldn't do where they were at. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, I always think they're beautiful. I, I mean, the stories are always beautiful. It doesn't matter how much hurt, how much, you know, mm -hmm. the sacrifice is what makes it great. Definitely. And I think um, we, just because we're kind of like, I mean, you live it with your family, Victor. Um, you have clients that talk about these kind of stories, Samantha. Um, but like, for me, I, I think about it sometimes, and I'm like, why haven't we gotten farther legislation-wise, you know, than, than we've been, like, ever? Like, I feel like when I started organizing back in 2010, uh, we were so close to passing, you know, the DREAM Act or passing immigration reform because that's what politicians always say, you know, we're going to pass immigration reform if you elect me, but we're still kind of in the same spot. And that's so frustrating because I know that you all probably deal with it just because of your, your fields and me because of community organizing. But um, do you all think that we'll ever see like an immigration reform in our lifetime? You know, um, do you all feel that that there is a like common sense pathway to that for the time being? Or do you think that folks will just continue using undocumented immigrants as scapegoats to do their politics? I, I think I think you, I'm going to go back to one of your first questions, which is like, we're still in the same place, like why haven't we gone further? I mean, I think the issue is there's not enough people of color in positions of power. Yeah. Uh, it's easy to try to legislate on something when you don't really know about it. And there's not enough people who know about it. And by knowing about it, I mean people who have family members who have worked in, who have worked in those certain areas, whatever. Um, so I think that's a big issue. There's just yeah. not enough Hispanic people in yeah. places of power. Mm -hmm. And it's education even. I mean, mm -hmm. I remember growing up in Texas, learning about social studies, history, and it was always, uh, and there's, you know, we learned about black history some, but you know, it's not that, it, they kind of brushed past it, but it was zero Mexican history, yeah. zero Hispanic history, and, and the United States used to be, you know, part of it used to be Mexico, and it's mm -hmm. almost like there's no recognition there. And some diversity, you know, you see it a little bit more now, but I think there's a very big distinction in diversity and inclusion. And I think at this point, we've done good at getting either Hispanic individuals, you know, Latinx individuals elected, 
uh, but it's time to start listening and it's time to not just say, hey, look, we, we here's one and, and they're there and they're in the position, but it's, it's time to bring our experiences out and actually include them in the conversation. So true, so true. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Um, we're going to play some Blood Orange. The song is called I Want to See You. Samantha Vital and uh, Victor Rojas. Um, they are local immigration attorneys. Well, not immigration attorneys, but they're local attorneys, and they're about to talk about what kind of attorneys they are, what they practice. Um, so they both graduated from the law school at the University of Arkansas. Um, and I guess we'll start with you, Samantha. Can you tell us what kind of law that you practice and where you practice that at? So I practice right now at Herrera Law Group in Rogers. Um, most people know know of Mauricio Herrera and he's got a few attorneys that are working with him and I'm one of them. Uh, I primarily work in immigration law and criminal defense is what I am starting to add to my practice but um, it's something that I'm growing um, because I've noticed that while my passion is immigration our community needs much more yeah. and so I want to be able to help them with any issue that may come up and so that's that's the reason for the branch out but mostly it's immigration law. What about you Victor? So I practice at, the name of the law firm is called Joseph Paul Smith PA, so it's, that's pretty common when you practice under a solo practitioner, but there's three other lawyers there. As far as what I, what I do, I do literally everything that's probably not uh, immigration or bankruptcy. Mm. And uh, the reason why I don't do much immigration is obviously it's just a touchy subject for me. I never yeah. really wanted to do it because uh, I'd have too much emotional investment in, in, into every case like that. So. I don't do that, but what I always tell any potential client is if you walk in the door, if I can't do it for you, I'll send you to somebody who I personally know mm. and would uh, trust to handle that sort of issue for you. Probably do like Samantha. Yeah. <laughs> do you leave the, the space open to possibly in the future do immigration? No, no, no creo que haga emigración porque es muy personal, como te digo, este... Si de por sí cada vez que alguien viene a mi oficina es como si estoy viendo a mi mamá o mi papá mm. cuando son hispanos, ¿verdad? Entonces, no, hay varias personas con mucho talento como Samantha, Kevin, tú los conoces a todos, los, los abogados de migración 
eh, hay muchos. Yo, yo pongo mis talentos en otras áreas, mm. pero no quiere decir que si alguien viene y necesita mi ayuda, no lo voy a poner en la, en la dirección apropiada para mandarlos con quien yo sé les, que les pueda ayudar, pero mm. no creo que sea para mí eso. I get you in like the whole it being a personal issue kind of thing because you know a lot of the times you'll you know there's a lot of allies in our community uh, specifically white people you know that like want the best for us want the best for our families and, and and they know about what's going on with DACA with immigration reform and everything and um, sometimes like they'll they'll tell you hey I got there's this new documentary on on Netflix you know it's called <laughs> Immigration Nation yeah. and you should check it out yeah. and you're like no like I can't do that you know like it's like yeah it's funny you say that because I actually watched uh, Ooh, an wow. episode the other, yeah, an episode the other day it and it was it's pretty heartbreaking there's actually a movie out I, I, I or there's a movie and I can't I cannot remember the name of it. It's, is it it's like, called, it's is called it like a, a Mexican one? It's a Mexican. I think it's called a Better Life. In, in the, the English translation, right? But it's like in Spanish, isn't it? The title is Spanish. No, I think it. I, it's I, I think it's called Better Life. Anyway, it's about a son, a dad, uh. and who. Uh, what the dad's undocumented, and he's like he's a landscaper and everything. At the end of the movie, he like gets deported. Mm. And I mean, I was like bawling my eyes out, like, and I'd never yeah. seen like even a portrayal of something like that. So it was like, you know, something pretty hard even watching a movie for me so I can I couldn't even do it in real life so that's I've heard people have quit like first episode into that immigration nation yeah. like I, I don't like, I kind of want to watch it um because mm -hmm. I feel like I can't like I I will be able to stomach it um with my wife it's a it's a whole different thing um and my friends that are undocumented you know they, they kind of have like the sentiment where they're like why would I want to watch this when exactly. I've already lived it exactly. you know yeah. like why do I want to like relive trauma uh if i'm if i have ptsd why do i want this to remind me of like a time where like my father was deported um and for me it, it's still tough you know because i i lived a life where like my father was deported back in like 2009 2008 you know so i understand the whole like family separation how it can like tear you apart you know and i don't think i've talked about it on this podcast but Um, my dad had cirrhosis of the liver. Um, he was he was really sick, and he eventually passed away. Um, so I never got to see him after he got deported. So all of that, um, anytime I see a documentary like that, like it, it is kind of triggering. Um, before I re I really didn't think about it. I didn't understand like what was causing me to get triggered whenever I would watch these kind of things. And then I was like, wait a minute, like I kind of experienced this, you know? Like I don't. Since I was an ally, since I'm an ally in the movement, I kind of don't like making that a, a, like a like to highlight that because I feel like the stories of folks who are actually undocumented, like those are the ones that we should highlight and they're the ones that we should like give the platform to speak to at advance and everything. Um, but it doesn't take away the fact that I experienced that, mm -hmm. you know. And it's and and uh, I think that's kind of what helps me to be able to connect with people in our community that are going through that, and also people in the jail, which is where. I where I work, um, but we have plans with some friends to watch it next week, like together. There's gonna be four of us that yeah. we're gonna watch Emotional it. Emotional support. That's yeah, yeah. There might be a bottle of wine somewhere, but like we're gonna need to support each other on this yeah. because it it is tough. And I think sometimes people don't like allies don't they don't understand that that there's reasons why we haven't watched shows like that. They understand it's important, but it's different living it versus just kind of understanding the concept of why it would be emotional. And I think that's, I mean, that's why I do immigration law. It's, uh, it, it's because it is personal to me. And I think, I think most people go one way or the other. It's either too personal and, or, mm. or, you know, 
they've seen something and they've seen that an immigration attorney has helped their family. Yeah. And that's why I do it. I, you mm -hmm. know, Catholic Charities was actually the, the organization that helped my family uh, gain lawful status. Or my Shout mother. out to Frank. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep. Catholic Charities. And um, it's because of them that my mom is here. Uh, mm -hmm. She was uh, was granted a voluntary departure, you know, to get technical, but she was. Yeah removed from the country mm. uh, when I was a baby and we lived away from my dad for a couple of years which is not a horrible story most people get much longer than that but then yeah. when she was in the United States she was separated from her family before she was able to finalize her status mm. for another eight years mm. uh, and so I remember distinctly when I was 12 years old going back to Mexico with my mom to see her family she hadn't seen her mom in eight years or her sisters in eight years or her nieces and nephews and just the tears, mm -hmm. just the absolute tears. And nothing horrible happened to him. You yeah. know, it wasn't, when you think about the atrocities happening globally, but that family separation just hits mm -hmm. so hard. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I tear up every time. Every time I, I don't want to talk about it too much. <laughs> but yeah. you know, when I think about it, it's how can we still be doing that to families? Mm -hmm. You know, and, and if there's something that I can do to lessen it even by a small percentage, then I want to do it. Yeah. Because if they would have gotten good guidance from the get, they wouldn't have had to suffer as much. Mm -hmm. And so that's, you know, it's something small, maybe, but it's something that I want to do. Well, Irving, he's like, I guess here's the other side of maybe not talked about very much, but, you know, I think the three of us in this room are the personification of probably our parents' dreams, just like every other, you know, child of, you know, Mexican immigrants. But, I mean, the fact is not everybody is doing, you know, something productive. Uh, one, of the, one of the things we talked about earlier was the, why isn't there enough Hispanic people out in positions of power yet? Mm -hmm. And I mean, what of these people who don't, you know, make, that, make much of the opportunity that the parents are trying to get to them? Mm -hmm. Which I would say the majority of people our age don't, don't take advantage of the opportunity their parents gave them. Yeah. And I think that's a discussion that most people don't have. Yeah. And we, people focus on the immigration side, people focus on the inhumanity of all that, and I agree with all that. It's inhumane and things need to change. But why don't we look at the people who are here, mm -hmm. the ones who are citizens like us, and why aren't we, our generation, why aren't we doing more? Why aren't yeah. we getting educated? I, and we are, for the most part, more than you know our parents, obviously, but I still think we're way below the standard that, that we should be at. Yeah, I think, I think unfortunately, a lot of that like weight of of uh, educating these communities, like, it does fall on our shoulders. Mm -hmm. You know, it falls on you, you all that, like, have, have gone to law school and are an example to people that it can be done. Because for a lot of folks, they, they see law school as, like, going to space. Like, it's, it's just a difficult journey and, like, and it's hard to get there. And it's, and it's, very, it's very difficult to get there. Um, uh, and it to, is. To everyone listening, it is not that hard. You just stay in school. <laughs> Just study, you know, and, and I, I appreciate, you know, from communities saying, oh, wow, you did it. You went to law school. You, you know, that's fantastic. And it's great. It's beautiful. I loved every second of it. But, man, more people can do it, you know, and I know they can. It, I'm, I'm not the smartest person in the world. Nowhere close, you know, and I'm never going to pretend to be. So many people can do it, and we can make a difference by just doing it. And, mm. and so I... So thank you for that, but it's really not that big of a deal. No. That, that bar exam, though, <laughs> seems tough. I don't know. <laughs> it is tough. Don't, don't, don't underestimate it. But uh, I'm going to say something that my dad always says. Si tienes miedo, no, nunca vas a cumplir nada. Yeah. Entonces, si tienes miedo de hacer algo, si eres alguien de nuestra edad, 
joven, de cualquier edad, no, no es de tener miedo, o sea, de, el miedo te tiene que motivar. Uh -huh. Si no sabes algo, si no hay información, hay, hay, hay recursos, hay, hay personas que te pueden ayudar, pero el miedo no es algo que te tiene que detener. Uh, entonces, uh, that's, that's something I just think about for people mm -hmm. who don't, who, who say they want to do something, but then yeah. they're too scared to do it. I just, just do it. I mean, just do it. Yeah, I mean, just do it. I mean, you're going to stay in the same place that you're at right now. So. ¿Y ustedes, um, desde que eran niños, siempre quisieron ser abogados? Desde los 12 años. Right. So there was nothing else, like nothing else before? Like, uh, I mean, yeah, child dreams. Yeah, Firefighter? Uh, well, <laughs> <laughs> actually, it was kind of embarrassing. I wanted to be a nun for a long time. Uh, well, there's nothing embarrassing about doing that, but I grew up you know, <laughs> Catholic, and I was like, oh, oh yeah. that's what I want to do. And, and I was like, nah, you know what, lawyer sounds better. Were your parents encouraging you of like becoming a nun? Uh, no, I just grew up in Catholic uh, school, Catholic, went to Catholic church, mm. and, and I loved, I, I had very good relationships with the sisters that were there, mm. and so I think I saw them as role models, and, and that's why I wanted to do it. Uh, I decided when I went to college that I wanted to be a lawyer. I didn't really know. I just saw the way the people looked at me when I said I wanted to go to law school, and I liked it. And ever since then, I've been riding that high and mm. doing it every day. But. The only experience, you know, I don't know, Samantha, if you had any experience with any lawyers that might have motivated you, but I had an experience with a lawyer here in town, and I'm not going to name drop him because uh, it, th I guess the story is not very good, but uh, when I was in high school, we had a cousin who got arrested for some issue, and we went over to his office, and then, you know, we put a, some sort of down payment or whatever, and then my dad decided, like, you know, try to try to get out of the deal like oh i'm gonna go find someone cheaper or whatever you know how you know yeah most hispanic people are i mean, you know they got a bargain they got yeah, a, you got yeah. a bargain they're always trying <laughs> to find that better deal it's, so like, it's no. harder in that dog. but so the attorney got mad and uh you know he starts going off on my dad mm -hmm. yelling at him in his office and uh i'm surprised that experience didn't turn me off from from going to law school because mm -hmm. you know i understand that now that i'm a lawyer that there's those clients who are always trying to you know not pay their you know not pay what what's due or get a better deal or whatever but you said man i'm gonna go with my dad like that <laughs> <laughs> but you know it's funny because i see this lawyer in court all the time now yeah and he's 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 been so nice you know he's somebody who i would call and ask for advice and he probably doesn't even remember this experience that happened with him but uh no i mean nothing nothing from my childhood would have motivated motivated me to do it except i just decided one day that i wanted to and you know i did it So, um, okay, so you, you, Samantha, when you were at a young age, you decided you want to be an attorney, and Victor, um, you, when you went to college. Um, so where do you all see, like, what, what are some things that you aspire to do? You know, like, you're already a lawyer. You're both already lawyers. Is there something, like, have you ever thought about, like, running for office or, or uh, any other, like, nonprofit, maybe, like, a nonprofit you want to start or some work that you aspire to do but you haven't really gotten to yet it's a loaded question but I'll, yeah. yeah i'll uh i don't really have political aspirations um you know we have kevin flores who's running here in springdale Shout out kevin. and i think he's in denial about wanting to be in politics because I, really, <laughs> i think he really wants to do it well he said he wanted to keep a low profile and then like yeah. the, next, <laughs> the next week well i mean <laughs> i mean i think he has aspirations to go beyond the races and now but yeah for me i mean no i don't Uh, I want to own my own practice. I want to be good at what I do. I want people to know my name and know that I do good work for them. And for Hispanic clients, 
quiero que ellos puedan entrar a mi oficina y, y hablar directamente con el abogado, no tener un traductor. Mm -hmm. uh, esa es la experiencia que, que yo les quiero dar. Porque cuando alguien está traduciendo no es igual que estar hablando directamente con la persona. Yeah. Y honestamente están recibiendo el servicio menos de que un cliente americano que habla inglés. Uh -huh. Porque con un tra si eres americano y hablas inglés, tienes el privilegio de hablar directamente con la persona que uh -huh. le estás pagando. Si eres hispano y contratas a un abogado que no habla español, tienes el privilegio de estar hablando la mayoría del tiempo con la traductora. Y tú estás pagando por un servicio. And sometimes, uh, like information gets lost mm -hmm. from Simplemente these. no lo dan. You yeah. know, like there's been times where like I've had, I, I don't know, I'll, I'll talk to a lawyer and they'll be like, okay, just have them call the office and they'll get the information, right? So I send the person over. This is like a Spanish-speaking person only, right? Mm -hmm. And then the secretary gets the information, but then she doesn't give the correct information to the attorney because I keep up. I'm like, I check with the lawyer afterwards, and he'll be like, oh no, we. He, this person didn't say that and I'm like wow you know mm -hmm. and, and that, that happens in situations where the attorneys don't speak Spanish mm -hmm. so I, I definitely get that point yeah and I think you know one thing is I think our, in our community now I think these people who are in that receptionist office manager uh, hourly position or whatever are greatly underappreciated and underpaid definitely. in today's market somebody yeah. walks into a, a law office and and it's not uncommon to be the only Spanish speaker and let's say somebody comes in and hires you on a, on a case for $10,000, you're still getting paid your $11, $12, and mm. that deal wouldn't have happened without your skills as a Spanish speaker. Yeah. So That's I think I'm not, I'm not telling you to start a big revolution. I'm not, you know, <laughs> we don't need any communist policies or anything like that, <laughs> or socialist policies, I'm sorry. But I think people our age uh, who aren't, not, not at our level, me and Samantha can go and negotiate our own deals and leave our leave different practices if we want to. But for these, for these people who are, you know, in hourly positions and, uh, you know, some salaried positions, you have to think about why uh, you aren't getting paid a little bit more if the deal wouldn't have happened without you. Mm. That's, that's, that's such a good point. And I never really, I mean, I kind of thought about it, but not like the way that you just described it right now. There, I mean, there are folks that are working in different law firms that aren't getting paid, getting paid enough, you know. It's not just law, you know, you, I'm sorry, if I heard you correctly, I think you said law firms. I, I think it's doctor's offices, That's chiropractors. Yep. I mean, you go to accident injury treatment center, every single person there is Hispanic. And some people would not walk in that door and be able yeah, to yeah. And hire them for six, $7,000 worth of chiro's work without that person's skills. Who are Specifically at the in this area. It's, yeah. yeah it, you know, like Springdale, Rogers, when it's like well, such a big exactly. population. So right now, you know, it's the people who are brokering these deals, are, the people our age, just aren't being compensated for it. Mm -hmm. And I just think everyone, and I encourage those people because I see it every day, not just in law offices, doctor's offices, everything, uh, not understanding the value of their of their yeah. worth. It's an additional skill. We need yeah. to pay for this. Y'all hear this? Have y'all ever worked for Victor Rojas in his own law firm? <laughs> Hold him accountable. Yeah. He said that in this interview. <laughs> Show him this clip. I'll pay you. Like, Yo. I'll, I'll be, uh, you'll, get, you'll get paid good if you want to come, yeah. <laughs> What about you, Samantha, in regards to, like, aspirations? I don't have any political aspirations. I mean, if I, I'm always, I'm a helper. You know, if anyone needs help with anything, getting uh, word out for anything, I'm there, and I will I will help you do something. But starting my own campaign, mm. <laughs> you know, that's, I, I like trench work. I like where I'm at. I like helping individual people. I like getting to know my clients. I like feeling like my clients are family. And I'm not saying politicians don't do that, but they to a certain extent, they can't do that. You know, they mm -hmm. can't know everyone. Yeah. They can love their constituents, but they can't know everyone. And, and that, I don't know, to me personally, it doesn't, there's no appeal to me personally. 
what about like not just political aspirations like any other kind of dreams that you might have that you maybe want to accomplish in your career like outside of being an attorney i would love to be a go-to immigration attorney that's always mm. been you know that that's been kind of my thing and unfortunately we see a lot of horror stories with notarios with bad attorneys yeah. Uh, that I I want to make sure you know like for example I don't charge for my consults it's uh, and that's not yeah that's a little plug but you no, know that's, <laughs> good. that's good on you because yeah. there's attorneys out there who and, and not, some people not do, I don't think consults work mm-hmm. I mean it's just I mean it depends I mean if you're there for two hours it is a little bit but I mean uh, so it's not something small for you to say you don't charge because yeah, there's a lot and, of people who charge a lot and there's nothing against individuals that charge for them because that's time and you know, you're giving your time up but I have made the this the decision to not charge for consoles because mm-hmm. especially with immigration because some people they just don't know you know they have okay, no well, I'm gonna send idea. you some people because I know some people <laughs> like that have been asking me and stuff but yeah. I, but a lot of the attorneys that I know do charge for mm-hmm. yeah. but they're like they don't have money we so don't, it's yeah. like, Information es poder, and yeah. to just be able to give that to someone and, and mm-hmm. to see I mean seeing their face change saying wait there is an option for me there's yeah. something I can do that's mm-hmm. better than any payment man better yeah. than any payment and uh, mm-hmm. that's what I want I want to take that and, and be recognized for it mm-hmm. you know I don't you know not to stroke my own ego but okay. I would love to get to that point you have to you, know? you have to get you have to get credit for the work that yeah. you do and I feel like that's one of the things that is kind of like taboo in regards to when you do something you know of great value or, or great work you deserve to get the respect for the work that you do and a lot of the times when when an individual like wants that credit they're seen as either conceited yeah. or like a big ego, but it's like, no, I worked for that. You know, I, I did the work. You know, I, I helped these people. Like, I deserve, I deserve to, to be, uh, not get an award or anything, but like be recognized for, for nice. yep. the good, the good work yeah. that I do. In regards to the consult, so we don't, we don't charge for, the, for those either. It's uh, plug, but there's <laughs> that feeling, that, like Samantha saying at the end of it, that uh, you know, most of the time, Hispanic clients expect to pay for consults, mm. over, probably over half the time. And then when you tell them that there's no charge or anything, you know, there is value to just even seeing, look at the, on their face and yeah. just seeing like, you know, oh, well, it's like, they're not just after the money. Cause it's not just, it's not about money for, for, for me at least. And I don't think for Samantha either. It's about genuinely helping people. With yeah, cause that could have been school come. supplies. That could have been more food on the table. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And when, you know, when you tell them that yeah. it, it makes their, their day. Well, you find out, you know, there's a situation. What if you walk into a console and you, you don't have enough money to hire and you still have your issue, and now you're down a hundred dollars, two hundred dollars. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know how, as a lawyer, I guess you'd feel good about that. It's like, well, it's my time, yeah, but I mean, your time shouldn't take away from somebody else's like livelihood, livelihood either. Exactly. Yeah. And do y'all still hear a lot of stories of like notaries and and uh, and other uh, like locations doing like immigration work and, and like screwing people out of their money? Yeah. I remember like a few years ago. Um, there was a, I'm not going to name the tax service location. Oh, that was, <laughs> <laughs> oh that was enough for everybody to know. That's enough for everybody to know? Okay. Well, there was, a ta- <laughs> there was a tax service location here in Springdale. I think Shocking. it was back in like 2011. We're not saying any names, but if you're listening, you know who you are. <laughs> and, and outside, they had a sign that said, apply for the DREAM Act here. Oh, yeah. The DREAM Act hadn't even passed in yeah. Arkansas, had not passed federally either. And people were actually going. And I remember we saw the sign, me and my friend, we actually showed up to the place. And uh, we went in there and we were kind of like, we had a DACA clinic that weekend on Saturday at the Jones Center. It was way back then. And we went in and there was someone that was already signing up to uh, have her daughter, his daughter apply for the Dream Act, the Mexican uh, father and, and, and daughter. And uh, 
yeah, they, they told us to get out or they're going to call the cops. So we, we managed to tell our daughter, hey, we have a free DACA clinic mm-hmm. coming up this Saturday. You can go. You're not going to pay nothing. Mm-hmm. And there they were going to charge them like $3,000 for I don't even know what the heck they were going to apply for since there was no DREAM Act. Um, maybe they were just trying to uh, get them to apply for DACA, possibly. But uh, I think the attorney general stepped in and eventually they were forced to remove that sign and to stop offering those services. But is that still a normal thing? I haven't heard much about I it. Hear it every, I mean, I, it feels like I hear it every day, but it is, it is uh, I feel like, the result of prior or past, you know, past times. Not really now, but, yeah, I mean, you still hear about those tax places just practicing law, essentially. And when you see those places and, and, and the fact that they're not doing it anymore as often, um, you can thank your local attorneys. I mean, local attorneys are the ones that report them and mm-hmm. tell tell the bar, tell the judiciary, hey, there's someone here, they're doing something legal, they're practicing law without a license, and they are robbing this community. Mm. And, you know, they shut them down, and thank God, you know, it's happening less now, but it still happens. It still happens nationwide. Mm -hmm. Uh, You see people apply for asylum that have no business applying for asylum because someone has promised them this, this, you know, these goods that they can never produce. Mm. And it's sad because then you meet with them, and you're like, I'm sorry. How? And my first thing is, well, how much did you pay them? Because I want to tell them, like, they, they stole that from you, and I don't want you to go back to them because they're going to keep stealing from you. Yeah. Um, and so it's sad. It's definitely sad because it's your community, right? That's my community that's being taken advantage of again. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, if if you see them, tell us. We'll report them. You mm-hmm. know, or you can report them. Make sure you, you let people know because. Immigration law is complex. Every law, every practice of law is complex, and and you need someone to at least advise you, right? Yeah. To let you know what the right way to do it is. Not someone that has never practiced, that thinks they can fill out a form, send it in, and boom, you've got you know some sort of work authorization that's going to end up putting you in a worse position later on. Yeah, and there was there was a lot of misinformation with the uh, you know with the recent. Um, I guess what's the correct term? I'm talking about like DACA being um, the, the Supreme the Supreme Court decision, mm-hmm. um, where people didn't know if they if they should apply um, as first timers mm-hmm. for DACA, um, and there was people online saying that they should. Mm-hmm. You know, there was people online saying that uh, advanced parole might come back, um, and um, how did you, you since you do immigration law and you probably heard from people, not, maybe not just clients, but people who might have reached out to y'all's office and asked about that. How did you all handle that, like, misinformation that was going around? So, well, we can start with when the Supreme Court made their decision, they essentially took us back in time to September 2017. So technically, yes, they could apply. For a first-time DACA mm. could apply. Um, advanced parole could apply. And it was, again, the administration uh, of our current president that Mm -hmm. came in and took that opportunity away for a second time. Uh, And this time it was also done unlawfully. So the way I brought it up to clients, and and most most people say, you know, we don't want to take that risk, but you got to let them know the risks. And you say, hey, there's this program. We don't know if it's going to continue. But right now, legally, they should accept initial applications. Now, you know, We've got to charge you legal fees for us to do the work. Immigration is going to charge you fees to accept the work. And it may come down that you don't get anything in the end. Mm-hmm. But in the off chance, you know, there's lawsuits happen. And so I think personally that this issue is prime for another lawsuit, essentially saying that the administration isn't 
following the Supreme Court's directive um, and that all initial applications that were submitted after the Supreme Court decision should be taken, should be reviewed, should be approved if approvable, and um, if they don't do that, then they should sue and, and essentially make the Supreme Court tell them again, hey, this is the lawful way to do it. Um, but you've got to tell them those risks. You know, you got to tell them all of that because it's not sending in the application and getting a card a few months later. Yeah. It's you're doing this and you're knowing that there might be a lawsuit coming up and that you could be a part of that lawsuit. Um, and, and a lot of people don't want to do that. And I don't fault them for that. Yeah, I tell them money. straight up, you know, that's, that's money, that's time, and, and that's putting your name in the system. Mm -hmm. You know, and so if you don't want to do that, that's fine. Um, and then UCIS put out a... Like a the memo. Mm -hmm. The memo now saying that... DACA, DACA renewals are now for one year, mm -hmm. right? And there's no advanced parole, right. and first-timers can't apply. Is that correct? That they would go, they would reject any initial application is what they okay. say. Okay, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, and, and, and they're probably still going to charge the 495 I, I assume. Well, rejections wouldn't. They would return the entire packet the way it came in. Uh, that's what they're supposed to do. Yeah. Um, and you get, you know, the the blue sheet on top saying your your case has been rejected um, but I do think that this issue is prime for for another lawsuit yeah. um, unfortunately I I wouldn't do it in this area we got to wait until someone in New York or California makes the decision to get people together and do the lawsuit uh, just because they have more favorable courts yeah. but um, it it needs to happen I mean we've Victor you know uh, in, in law school we learned Marbury you know and and when the Supreme Court makes a decision, that's a decision that has to be followed. There's not, it's not just because I'm president means I can do whatever I want, or just yeah. because I'm Congress, I can do whatever I want. We have, we have separation of powers, we have mm -hmm. balance of powers, and it seems like this administration just doesn't care about that right now. And mm -hmm. I don't care what side of the table you're on, right or left, that's yeah. something that is un-American. Definitely, definitely. And um, just any kind of, any kind of words that y'all would like to give to any um, people of color slash black people slash indigenous people that are out there that um, possibly want to become lawyers? Any kind of words of motivation that you can give them or any, any kind of advice? I'll start with you, Victor. Yeah, I mean, if you want to do it, uh, the resources are there. Uh, if you're specifically from here, there's starting to be people of color like us uh, who can help you and are more than happy to, to give you any advice. We've all gone through it. I didn't know anything. Uh, I had to figure it out for myself. And uh, I don't want somebody, just because I did, doesn't mean they have to. Um, so I would encourage them to just reach out to anybody, any individual uh, who you know of. Even if, even if you don't know them personally, there, I don't think there's any lawyer in this area who wouldn't be happy to talk to you or meet with you. And they don't have to be you know, a person of color or not. Uh, as far as... Uh, I don't know any other advice. I think uh, it's a kind of a hard journey uh, being somebody in, you know, in that setting. Most of the time, you're the only person of color. That's why every time I see you in court, and I smile at you because it's just yeah. me and you. So, <laughs> so cool. Yeah. When I saw you, I was like, man, this is cool. Yeah. Like, like I'm not sure if you've seen like that meme of uh, what's the guy's name? I forgot his name. Uh, something Paul. He's like an actor. The one that that says he says something like. Uh, look at us you know look at us uh, look <laughs> <away>. <laughs> just look at us <laughs> and it's like 
for, that's what I felt whenever I saw Victor, yeah. and I, then I saw Kevin the same day, yeah. and I was like, look at us, look what we're doing, we're all in here. So I thought it was pretty cool, but. Yeah, some, so, of, yeah, some of us have already walked, you know, through that journey, so uh, you don't have to do it alone, you can, you can reach yeah. out, you can, you, there's people there who will, who will guide you and help you, so it's just about deciding that you want to do it, and then, you know, this is that boring stuff, like getting the good grades, taking the LSAT and stuff like that, but I mean, if you set your mind to it, you'll, you can do it, you just have to decide that that's what you want to do. I would say pick pick your circles, you know, especially when they're young, when you're 12 years old, thinking of what you want to do for the rest of your life. You know, you got to make sure that the people around you are supporting you. Um, sometimes, for me, it was family, and that was fantastic, but not everyone can have that. Yeah. Uh, so make sure your friends are, are supporting you and your friends are wanting the best for you. Because uh, it's really easy to, to say getting good grades and studying for the LSAT isn't cool. I mean, yeah, it's not it's not the coolest, right? <laughs> but, you know, you've got to that those are those are important stepping stones to be able to get to law school, to be able to take the bar exam, to be an attorney. And the biggest thing that I've seen, because I think I was with you there, Victor. You know, I was the only Hispanic in my in my section in law school and um, yeah, you did, I, I don't think we talked once when we were in school though yeah <laughs> and it's you know you get here and, and the whole point is extend a hand back you know and and there are so many things and i won't get into super detailed but you know outlines i, I don't know you go in there and everyone around you knows exactly what the professor is talking about and i'm sitting there like am i the only one that doesn't know what yeah. this guy is talking about and it's because I didn't have an uncle or my dad that was an attorney that was telling me how. Judge. <laughs> yeah, and so it's like, man, what are these people? And everyone's prepared, and yeah. you're just sitting there like, man, is this another thing I have to learn? Mm -hmm. And it is, yeah. but you know, I think thankfully, uh, with you know, us being in our positions, we can reach back. And if if this is to anyone that's listening, if you need help, if you have questions, reach out. Uh, we want to see more of ourselves out there, right? And and so if there's something that I can do and it's as easy as sending you a flash drive of study notes, yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll do that, that's easy. Sounds good. Well, y'all heard it here first. Um, if y'all do need have any questions or want to reach out to get some to get some help, reach out to Samantha. Reach out to Victor. Uh, Samantha, Victor, we appreciate you being here on the District Three podcast and just kind of sharing your knowledge at the same time, inspiring folks you know who are listening and being like, you know what, maybe I can do it after listening to this conversation. And I think the roles that you all have in our community right now are are super important and are going to inspire a lot of people that look like us to possibly pursue uh, a law degree and, and help people the same way that y'all are doing. Um, but we appreciate you all being here. That's the end of the episode. Thank you all for making the time. And we'll see you all next week. Thanks.